Okay, we are recording, Miss Allison. So you can start with the introduction. Yeah. So um, my name's Allison, Allison Blard, and I'm I'm a registered nutritional therapist, and I am actually a, an esthetician as well. Uh, so I, I have worked many many years with skin health. Um, I specialize in uh, particularly in women's perimenopausal, menopausal and postmenopausal health. Uh, I started off my, my career being very, very interested in hormones because I had acne as a teenager. And that really kind of led me down that that route of wanting to find a way to, to improve my own skin. And obviously it's very hormone related. Uh, so that was really where I started my my interest in hormones. And that's just really spread into uh, perimenopause and menopausal women, because it's an area that is we don't talk about it enough. And, mm-hmm. and it's something that every single woman in the world will go through. And it can be a very, very tough time for some women. Uh, so it's really I help women get through this time in their lives um, and you know help manage their symptoms so that so they can thrive uh, you know women are live we're living much longer we're living 30 plus years when we're in postmenopause yeah so that's what I do with, with the power of nutrition uh, lifestyle medicine really uh, I use the functional medicine model where we look at the whole person you know really looking at not just looking at the symptom but looking at you know why is that why am I feeling like that so yeah, that's what that's that's what I do. Okay. Well, I want to thank you again for <clears throat> agreeing to even come on the podcast. Um, I never, I didn't think initially about uh, perimenopause or menopause and the, the impact that it, it can have on mental health until I started doing a little research. And um, I know that it doesn't, like each woman is different, so it may not necessarily happen to every woman. But some things I read up on were about how menopause can change mood changes, sleep disturbances, cognitive function, increase risk of depression, and impact on self-esteem. So I'm very glad that you you are with me today. So, all right. So the first question I have for today what is menopause? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Jennifer, because we, we presume that everybody knows that. And they, when you look at statistics, there's a huge percentage of women that don't truly understand what that is. So what is menopause? Menopause is, it's actually broken up into different um, categories. It's more, it's the, the transition into menopause. So perimenopause is the first phase of this transition. On average, this varies very much uh, depending on where in the world you come from, and it's very individual. But this happens at, on average, the age of 45. Can happen earlier, can happen later. And what perimenopause is, this is where things start to become unbalanced. So it's kind of like this roller coaster. You know, you're still having periods. You, you absolutely can still get pregnant, but your hormones are starting to become unbalanced so estrogen actually it's very common in perimenopause that estrogen is can become quite dominant uh, and progest- progesterone levels start to decline so you've got that progesterone is acts is very calming and it kind of acts as a, a bit of a buffer to estrogen so w- when you haven't got that levels of progesterone estrogen estrogen can become quite high and in perimenopause because of all these fluctuations 
we start uh, experiencing symptoms like your hot flashes, uh, irritability, uh, brain fog, uh, itchy skin, weight gain. I mean, the list goes on. There's over 40 different uh, menopausal symptoms. So that's perimenopause. And that just gradually goes on, on average, for about five to six years. Again, it's very individual. But what happens when, you, when you're going through perimenopause, your hormones gradually start declining. Menopause is when you haven't had a period, so you haven't ovulated for a year. So you haven't had a menstruation consecutively for a year, and then you are officially in what we call menopause. And all the time after that is post-menopause. So, so really, menopause is, is really only one day. It's the day that you haven't had a period for a year. And then when you're in that day, the, the time after that is post-menopause. Um, and post-menopause is where you have, you know, you, your estrogen, your progesterone, testosterone as well. We, we shouldn't forget about that. But that gradually just declines with age. That isn't necessarily connected to menopause. Our, our levels of testosterone decline as, as we age, not just in women and in men as well. Uh, but postmenopause is where we have women, we have a very small amount of estrogen and progesterone because our bodies are very clever and you know they realize that we need these hormones and we produce them from our adrenal glands which sit on top of our kidneys and they they produce a very small amount uh, of these hormones but they can't with the reduction in these hormones comes with uh, some health risks because we need estrogen and we need progesterone uh, so as women, as we age, you know, we have a higher risk of getting osteoporosis, for example, uh, heart health, you know, all of all of bone health is another big thing because estrogen is needed for so many things. So it's really that transition perimenopause, menopause on average at the age of 51. And then you've got postmenopause, which is the rest of, of a woman's life. Thank you. Um, like I was sharing with you, um, I would say within the last probably six months, but I really started tuning in with my body within the last two months. And I was wondering, like, what is going on in my body? Like, I constantly stay hot. Like, my head felt like it, it was on fire some days. And I was like, what in the world? But I didn't have a fever. And then I would notice sometimes that my cycles were irregular or I would lift my window up at night and lay in front of the window because I was burning up all the time. And then I started just randomly bursting out in sweat. And I was like, something's going on, but I still didn't even <laughs> recognize that that was what it could have been was perimenopause. So I went to my, my doctor, um, about a week ago, actually. And then that's when she was telling me, you know, you're 47, your biological clock, your body is changing. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so what you just shared is is very, is very helpful um, for women, you know, my age that may be going through this transition as well. Okay. Um, my next question, and I've noticed this just a little bit. Why do we put on weight? 
during midlife, menopause, and what can be done about it? Yeah, that, that's a big question. You could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dreaded weight gain. And it normally comes around the, the tummy area, doesn't it? Yeah. The, the belly area. Mm -hmm. And I see that in so many of my clients, you know, people that say, I'm not doing anything different. I'm, you know, I eat a, a healthy diet. Uh, I just don't do anything different. But I can gradually see, you know, my stomach area around the abdomen size increasing. Yep. Yeah. Why do we gain weight? I mean, that's a big question. And we don't when we look at research behind this, we still don't fully understand why this is but there's many different factors that that come into play uh, one is you know we can't blame everything on the menopause we have you know the natural aging process there you know going on and you know when when we go into menopause there's a lot of metabolic changes that start happening in a woman's body so because of these metabolic changes you know we we don't uh, our metabolism changes so we we can't basically what I'm trying to say is we can't eat the way that we did when we were younger. You just can't. You can't eat. You know, if we think of portion sizes, you know, we, we don't need that amount of energy. Obviously, it depends on, you know, if you're really, really active or an athlete, then, you know, maybe that's not the case. But you can't eat the way that you did when you were younger because you just won't get away with it. So you really have to think about uh protein protein is key it really is and protein is key for keeping muscle mass because another factor with weight gain is is that as we age um we lose our muscle mass and muscles are require a lot of energy to function so you know if you've if you've got muscle on your body you will automatically crave more energy and you will burn more calories just from having that muscle so you know you've got uh, the fact that you're, you're aging that comes into weight gain uh, loss of muscle uh, because you your body's not using the same amount of energy anymore if you lose muscle mass and we do and this has been shown in study we do become less active as, as we get older but also in menopause when you're feeling hot, terrible you know you, you've got hot flashes you're exhausted, uh, you're irritable, you know, you don't have the same enjoyment out of exercising, you know, you're just feeling terrible, you're not going to be going to the gym, so you become less active. Thyroid issues, um, the thyroid gland, which, which sits in the, the base of the neck, is again, is something that we see happening, or, or thyroid problems in women as we age, um, and the thyroid gland is, is like the engine of the body. So when we're not producing the thyroid hormones, that can have a huge effect on, on, on our weight. Um, so it's worth getting that checked out. You can you can have a blood test and, and to check your thyroid function. So it's, it's a, a multitude of things. Another huge player in weight gain is stress. And that is, that is something that people don't always think about. When I work with clients, if weight gain is their uh, uh, weight loss is their goal and they're very stressed, that's what we work on first. Because if you're suffering from chronic stress, 
it's virtually impossible to lose weight because of the stress hormones. Cortisol in particular, which, which is one of the stress hormones, is a fat storing hormone. So if you're constantly stressed, no, no matter what you're doing, you know, if you're trying to eat healthy and exercising, you will store fat. Because when we're stressed, your body takes that as a, as a warning that you need to escape from danger. And it will release sugar into the bloodstream and it will think, oh, we need to store this energy because this person needs to be able to run away. So it stores it and it stores it around the middle like we experience. Another big thing for weight gain in, in women uh, is blood sugar control, blood sugar management. Uh, again, because of the decline in, in uh, estrogen and progesterone, we can have imbalances in our blood sugar and we have we can develop something called insulin resistance. And this is really where your body can't take in the energy that you need and it, it causes higher blood sugar levels. And what happens then? What do we do with that energy? We store it around the middle as fat. So it's it's weight gain is very, very multifactorial there's many many different things that come into play there but when you're looking at managing weight you know eat protein eat protein for breakfast is key you know you shouldn't a lot of breakfast that we eat are more like a dessert you know you should be eating they, they say you should eat your dinner for breakfast really because you want to be eating savory breakfast to stop this blood sugar high and, and protein is very uh, satisfying. So if you eat protein, it stops you having these cravings and, and hungers throughout the day. So that's a key thing. Try to not eat. We don't actually need to eat all the time. Research has been saying, you know, it's good to give your system a break. You don't actually need to be eating and snacking and grazing all day long. You know, try to keep your eating window to obviously it depends but what research is saying is if you eat for eight hours and then fast for 16 but that doesn't mean you have to you know suddenly think oh, i'm not oh god i can't eat for eight, uh, 16 hours what you can do is you can just have your dinner earlier and then basically those 16 hours from where you stopped eating and the night until you get up that is where you're giving your digestive system a break. And that the, that style of eating has been very uh, successful in weight management. It obviously doesn't work for everybody. It's very individual. But I think the message I'm trying to say is that we don't need to constantly be eating. We need to give our system a, a break. And another key thing with weight management is to really reduce or avoid all of these ultra processed foods because they're just very detrimental for health. Um, they're full of sugars, damaged fats, refined carbohydrates that really just shoot the blood sugar up. We, we should be eating real food, you know, food that you know what it is when you look at it, not, not in a package where there's 20 different ingredients that you, you can't even pronounce. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say, when you were talking about the the protein, do you recommend cert certain foods? I do notice that um, in the mornings, if I eat like a protein waffle or I have a protein shake, 
that I'm not as hungry throughout the day. If I eat anything different, like for example, if I eat at 7 a.m. by 10 o'clock, I will feel like I haven't eaten anything at all. So I didn't know if you had any type of foods that you, you know, would suggest. Um, a lot of people, a lot of women, they're on the on the go. So sometimes we gravitate to just grabbing something very quick, but we can grab something healthy as a protein. So do you have any suggestions for that? Yeah, it's it has to be easy, doesn't it? We haven't got time in the morning to be making that, you know, a luxury <laughs> breakfast. Eggs are a great thing. I mean, egg is, is just such a wonderful source of protein and, and, and many other nutrients. Having hard boiled eggs in your fridge that you can just grab and, and eat. And, and hard boiled eggs are delicious. You know, you can just grab a few if you're on your way to work or whatever you're doing. Eggs are a great source of protein. Uh, things, you know, a wonderful breakfast would be, for example, some scrambled eggs, uh, half an avocado and some salmon. I mean, that is the the ultimate breakfast because you've got all your healthy fats in there. You've got uh, protein and, you know, you've got your omega-3 uh, fatty acids. It, that's a great uh, breakfast. But things like uh, cereals and, and you know, ref white bread, uh, even oatmeal, it there isn't really very much protein in those products at all. You know, so when you eat them in the morning, that just turns into glucose, that turns into uh, sugar, basically energy in the system, you know, and your blood sugar shoots up, your body will be like, oh, we don't want high blood sugar. So it releases insulin, which is the hormone that allows your body to utilize the glucose. And what happens then? You get a crash because your body will always uh it wants to get rid of the high blood sugar. So it secretes a lot of insulin. Then your blood sugar becomes low. What happens then? You get cravings. You know, your brain is very clever. You're not going to get cravings to eat broccoli. You're going to get cravings to eat like a muffin or a you know packet of biscuits or, you know, some, some really refined, quick energy. Um, and then you get on this roller coaster because then your blood sugar is going to go up again. And then it's going to crash and then you're going to crave. Whereas if you start the morning with, you know, eggs or uh, even some leftovers from the from dinner from the night before, if you were chicken or whatever you had for dinner, that is a brilliant thing to eat for breakfast. Some sort of meat, if, if you eat meat, uh, you know, there's lots of um, soya, you know, non for vegetarians, for vegans you know, soya, nuts, seeds, tempeh, all of those, tofu, great sources of, of protein. But getting your protein in the morning, I mean, really should eat protein at every meal, roughly around a palm size of protein. But as you were saying, uh, Jennifer, it makes you feel fuller. You don't have those cravings. So protein is key. And it also helps us keep our muscle mass. Uh, so really making sure that you you eat protein with every meal is crucial perfect I'm, I'm writing some notes down as you're saying this to be more mindful to put um, more protein into my diet <clears throat> you had mentioned about the gym so when I was in my 20s and 30s I loved going to the gym now I don't I won't say that I hate it but I have to like really drag myself to get in there 
um, in my 20s and 30s, I would work out at least an hour. Now, 30 minutes, that's it. And I'm I'm ready to go. So I do realize those things as my body changes, but maybe if I incorporate more protein, I will get a more effective workout. Yeah, you probably have more energy. But I mean, that's a good point, actually, that you, you made because... As, I mean, I've seen that in myself as well. I'm I'm very active and love running and, and gym and, you know, all sorts of uh, exercise. Mm-hmm. But, it's, um, and I'm in perimenopause as well. And it's, I can't, I can't run like I used to, even if I want to, I just don't have that amount of energy anymore. And th- that's to do with the metabolic changes and your body not being able to utilize energy in the same way because of the decline in, in these hormones. I mean, it's, it's fascinating when you look at estrogen and the effects that it has on, on the body. It's It really affects virtually every bodily system. So I think looking at how you work out as, as you age, you know, finding other ways, going for a walk, doing some yoga. Of course, it's good to get your heart rate up, but you know you don't have to go to the gym every day because that actually can cause a a stress response it can it can be quite stressful for your body and you know we were talking about cortisol the stress hormone you know that it it can be counteractive it can actually make you gain weight if you're constantly stressed and and certain forms of exercise when you get older can can put stress on the body so you just mentioned estrogen and that was going to be one of my questions for you why is estrogen very important to our bodies or for our bodies i mean it's what i like to call the mother hormone i mean we predominantly think of estrogen as a sex hormone which it is but it is needed for virtually every single bodily function because what what we have is we have what we call estrogen receptors all over the body and what a receptor is if you think okay what, what is a hormone a hormone is a chemical messenger so you've got your little receptor there on virtually all systems and parts of the body and this receptor is waiting for estrogen to come and lock onto it and, and give it a message and you know that message couldn't be whatever it depends on you know if it's the heart if it's the brain it's going to relay something for for that uh, particular receptor to do but when you go into menopause you don't have estrogen is is declined you have very little estrogen in the circulation so this kind of receptor is there waiting for this message that never arrives mm-hmm. so you can understand why, for example, there's a lot of estrogen receptors in the brain uh, and the, the cognitive changes during menopause, such as, you know, memory lapses, not being able to remember people's names or, you know, you walk into a room and you think uh, I came in here and I, I can't remember what I came in for. Uh, irritability, mood swings, uh, anxiety. And when you look at the brain, and you see where all the receptors are, they're, they're in parts of the brain that are responsible for uh, mood, you know, anxiety, you know, all of these calming uh, areas. And also talking about hot flashes, it's really kind of the thermostat in the body gets very confused and mixed up. And this is to do with an area of the brain as well. So estrogen is needed 
brain health, heart health. You know, we, we see in um, women as we age that the heart disease goes up considerably. And, and again, that, that actually is an area that isn't spoken about very much. We talk a fair amount about um, bone health, but heart health in, in women as we age is, is something for some reason we don't talk about that as much. And it's quite scary when you look at the statistics because there is a huge increase in, in heart disease and heart attacks in women you know, that are in post-menopause. So the estrogen is needed for the integrity of our circulatory system. Uh, it's needed for bone health. Uh, we need estrogen to keep our bones strong. So that's a real area that you need to look at and take care of as, as we age as a woman doing strength training. You know, we need to lift things. We need to keep us, ourselves strong and making sure you're getting nutrients like vitamin D, uh, vitamin K, uh, calcium to really help with uh, bone health. And then, you know, bone, brain, heart, uh, gut health as well. That can be affected by estrogen. Um, the, the gut is, is very sensitive. And when we have decline in these hormones, it can affect the, the microbiome. So our, our gut bacteria. So, and I see in a lot of clients that they suddenly get getting digestive issues, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, bloating, you know, diarrhea, all these things that they never had before. Um, and I mean, estrogen's needed for sleep. It's, it's, it's just so crucial for so, so many things. That's why some women really, really have a problem when they go through this transition uh, because it just doesn't affect one area. It really can affect a, a multitude of things in the body. I'm glad you mentioned that too, <clears throat> because, hold on, let me go back. I was going to ask you um, how women can improve their gut health. Um, for me, I, I do try to make sure I keep um, probiotics in my system as often as possible. Um, I also drink kombucha. I know that's a an acquired uh, an acquired taste type of thing. <laughs> I had to get used to it, but I I noticed that when I drink those, I really feel a reset mm -hmm. in my in my gut. So, do you have any um, suggestions for that? Yeah, gut health. It's it's really going back to basics. You know what our gut needs to thrive is we need fiber, uh, and we need exactly as you were saying we need probiotics and pro in in our, our gut which is is fantastic so much research now being done on, on the what we call the microbiome which is is our gut bacteria and, and how important that is for our overall health and when we have a decline in estrogen it affects or can affect the gut bacteria what we need to think about is we, we need to eat probiotic rich foods. And they're exactly as you were saying, Jennifer, kombucha is, is great because that contains these, these wonderful uh, bacteria. Things like kefir, um, sauerkraut, uh, kimchi, fermented vegetables. Because when if we take sauerkraut as an example, when that ferments, it, it creates all these wonderful bacteria that our, our digestive tract loves. So we really need to eat, incorporate those things into our diet. We don't, you don't need to suddenly start, you know, eating a, a pile of sauerkraut if you're not used to it, but 
having that I I actually really like kimchi which is similar-ish to sauerkraut but it's got carrots and, and stuff in it I just make sure that I eat around a tablespoon a day of that and it's actually delicious so really being mindful to eat these things but what our gut also loves because don't forget it's a bit like a garden you know you've got your your gut bugs there but they love eating uh fiber so they they thrive off uh what we call prebiotics so prebiotics is is really the food that we need to eat to feed our gut bugs and this is really from vegetables you know it's the fiber in the foods that that our gut bugs love and as women for gut health, you know, eating what we call crucivus vegetables like cauliflower, uh, broccoli, cabbage, they're, they're just Brussels sprouts. They're amazing for our gut health, but also they help uh, eliminate uh, or help us detoxify estrogens from the system. Because when you when you look at estrogen, it, it, when it's me metabolized, we need to eliminate that. We don't want our body to reabsorb uh, used estrogens. But when crucifix vegetables really help us eliminate estrogen. So that's quite it's crucial for every woman. But it's even more crucial if you're uh, if you're estrogen dominant, because you don't want your body to be reabsorbing any more estrogen. Fiber rich foods, flax seeds, are, um a brilliant uh, source of fiber and also something that we call uh, phytoestrogens, which are plant estrogens. And, and they've been shown in studies to really actually help with some menopausal symptoms, but they're so good in fiber that they're very good for the, the gut health. And something as simple as drinking water, you know, making sure that you're hydrated uh, is very important for elimination uh, for gut health. And, and again, you know, cutting out sugary, refined processed foods makes your gut way happier. Thank you. Now, I want to ask you about sleep. Now, I'm, I'm noticing my sleep is, is off. Um, I may for example, if I go to bed at, at nine, I'm right back up at midnight and I may be up from midnight until three o'clock and I have to be up around 530 for, for work. So at the end of the week, I'm kind of like, I've crashed. Saturday is like my day that I catch up and I know that's not good. So do you have any suggestions to help um, improve sleep hygiene as it relates to menopause yeah sleep sleep could be a big problem uh for for menopausal women and it's just it's just awful isn't it when you when you're tired all the time it, mm -hmm. it affects everything and it really affects your quality of life and it's a it has like this huge knock-on effect on everything else you know we were talking about weight management you know if you're not sleeping well that really can affect your weight because you, you'll be lacking energy and what does your body want the following day you're going to be craving carbohydrates mm -hmm. if you're tired you know if you be mindful because you you will be your body will be craving the, the refined processed foods because it knows that that will give you quick energy but when we look at sleep it, it is um, one of the top 
symptoms that women suffer from through menopause. And this, there's many, again, many factors, but the, because of the decline in hormones, this can really have an effect on sleep. And, and what one of the most common things is, is that we wake up. So we fall asleep, like you were saying, you, you, you wake up at midnight or in the early hours of the morning and you just can't go back to sleep and you, you just lie there and then you start thinking, don't you? And your brain goes into overload. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a tricky one with sleep. I mean, what you the the best things that you can do is to think about what you do before you go to bed. You know, not doing anything that stimulates you, such as you know, social media, television, all of this this light. What 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 your body wants to produce is the the sleep hormone melatonin. And if you're if you're constantly looking at computers or televisions with the with the bright lights, you, your body won't produce this hormone because it doesn't realize that it's nighttime. So something as, as simple as just turning off all devices a couple of hours before you go to bed and doing something relaxing like reading a book or, or just sitting, you know, talking to your family. Mm -hmm. You really need to unwind. And I think that's in today's society, we just don't do that, do we? People, you know, you, you're sat working and then you think, oh, I need to go to bed. And then, you know, you're in bed five, 10 minutes later. You haven't had that time to, to wind down. But also avoiding, you know, caffeine, alcohol. Mm. If you're having problems sleeping, I would suggest that, you really try and just do it for a test period. You know, don't drink coffee or alcohol for two weeks to see if it improves. Because even if you drink caffeine in the morning, it takes a long time for it to get out of your system. And yeah. that can absolute, absolutely wake you up in, in the night. I mean, you can drink caffeine free, can't you? Coffee and tea. You know, you don't have to completely stop drinking it. But just give that a go and also wine. I mean, we all like a nice glass of wine, but it really isn't the friend of a menopausal woman because it it will keep you awake. Uh, it, you might think that it helps you relax initially, which it may do, but it won't help you sleep. It will cause blood sugar uh, imbalances. It, it, it just alcohol and menopause really don't really mm -hmm. don't mix. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, I see that in so many clients of mine that they say, OK, OK, I'll, I'll stop having the, the odd glass of wine for two to three weeks just to see. And and when they've done that, the, the change is so dramatic that they say, I'm not I'm, it's just not worth it. So that's a huge thing with sleep. And then, you know, if you're really suffering from sleep uh, problems, you know, I would recommend that you go and speak to your doctor because I mean, it's a whole nother, nother discussion, but uh, hormone replacement therapy, you know, has been shown is that there's more research is certainly needed in, in this department. But, you know, it really can help with these sort of symptoms, not for everybody. It's a very individual choice, but go and get the information. And then obviously it's up to you to decide which avenue you go down. And also with with sleep issues, you know, people that are having night sweats that keeps you awake, doesn't it? If you're waking up in the middle of the night and you you know you're really having these these night sweats, 
you know, it's it's difficult to sleep. So there's so many different things that can cause sleep issues during menopause, but it's finding a solution for them. I don't, you should certainly don't think, oh, this is just it and I have to suffer. There are things that you can do. And it's really looking at what you're doing before you go to bed. Do something calming. Something wonderful is having, if you have a, a bath at home, is having a, an Epsom salt bath. Uh, magnesium is it's a wonderful I love magnesium particularly magnesium glycinate mm -hmm. because that is such a calming mineral and if you Epsom salts contain a, a lot of magnesium and if you put them in the bath and just lie there your body will actually absorb that magnesium very calming very nice to do before you go to bed and then a lot of uh, aromatherapy oils like lavender uh, a, a very calming and, and you can have them if you just drop a, a few uh, on your pillow when you, you're trying to sleep that has such a calming effect uh, so aromatherapy is actually a, a, a quite powerful yeah I, I have a diffuser um, I need to start using it more I used to use it all the time but I I was in the store the other day and um, I saw this um, it was like a gift box of um, Epsom salts and it had different ones. And it was one that I noticed and I was like, I had never heard of these before, but it was a Epsom salt, but it said probiotic. And I was like, wow, it was like a lemon balm. And I was thinking, okay, I've heard of prebiotics, uh, probiotics, but not, you know, this particular one. And so um, that's something that I want to do as part of self-care that yeah. Epsom salt baths, they help me not only relax, but it helps me in my my joint health um, as well. So I do enjoy those at night. Um, I want to um, talk with you about our our skin. And by the way, your skin looks really great, really great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I started to notice in my face around my cheekbones, just it was just very oily very oily there um and then um over time I started to no notice like a little a dry patch too so I um increased my my water I did alkaline water or either I drink a lot of infused water with maybe like mint and cucumber or mint and strawberry strawberries um and then I tried to do a um deep cleanse charcoal mask at least twice at least twice a week um, so do you have any suggestions or any thoughts about skin health in menopause? Yeah, there's a lot that happens in the skin during menopause. And again, you know, it goes back to good old estrogen. It's needed for so mm. many things in the skin. Uh, we we lose one thing that a lot of women experience is we lose moisture in the skin. Our skin starts to become dry um we actually need estrogen to enable our skin to hold on to moisture mm -hmm. um and we have a decline in hyaluronic acid which is this wonderful molecule that really binds moisture in the skin so our skin starts to become drier we start to lose uh, collagen and elastin in the skin which you know keeps our our, our skin firm and you know we can, as for want of a better word, but you know, because the skin can start start to sag uh, because we haven't got these collagen elastin fibers like they used to be when when we were younger. 
pigmentation, um, you know, just imbalances in the skin can really start to happen. And allergies, you know, something that you weren't sensitive to before, you can all, all of a sudden start reacting to it. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, to skin health and menopause, you, you, you want to look after your skin. You know, you want a good daily skincare routine, you know, cleansing, toning, uh, applying a, a, a good day cream that's moisture think about really like moisture giving products with SPF in that, that is crucial that, you know, research is saying that we need products with at least uh, 30 plus. I think that's different in the U S isn't it? Sunscreen. I think you have a different grading there than we do in Europe, but you want, you want a high sun protection factor and the majority of uh, day creams these days have spf already in them so you don't need to put a a sun care cream you know over the top of that Mm -hmm. and then using things like eye creams you know we have to look after the eye area Mm -hmm. Uh, it's very delicate you can't just put your normal moisturizer there you really need a a pacific eye care product and then looking at, at serums for the skin one ingredients in particular that I, I really like and have seen great results with is retinol which is is vitamin a and that can be great for women as we age because it's it's very anti-aging it helps it it creates a peeling effect on the skin uh and it can also help with uh pigmentation uh help if the skin's unbalanced so that that is a very good uh, ingredients in products. If you're not used to using retinol, then just take it easy initially because your skin needs to get used to it. So I would always talk to a professional to get advice before you start started using any of these products. Mm-hmm. And then when, when you look at uh, new nutrients for skin health, you know, water, we, we need to hydrate. We need to keep our skin uh, hydrated uh, lots of uh, phytonutrients, so plant uh, chemicals that you find in fruits and vegetables. It, really eating like a rainbow of colours is is crucial for the skin. Vitamin C, mm-hmm. we need collagen synthesis, uh, zinc. I think if you're if you're eating a balanced diet, you know, with vegetables, with fruit, with protein, with healthy fats you know, like avocados, nuts and seeds, olive oil, all of those wonderful fats, then you're getting the nutrients that you need for your skin. Uh, But it's, you really have to eat. It's all about variety, Mm -hmm. making sure that you're eating a wide range of different foods and different colored foods Mm -hmm. uh, is is brilliant for skin health. And, um, something I wanted to to share with you when I was talking about my my skin. So um I would just use like a like a dove facial soap. I, I've been using that probably since I was a, a teenager. And um like I said I started noticing these changes. And so my hairstylist Brandolin um started selling Mary Kay facial cleansers and stuff. Uh I don't know, maybe in the last six months or so. And she used to talk to me all the time. And I was like, no, you know, I'm fine with what I have. And so I was finally just kind of intrigued by the product based off a presentation that she gave. And so I learned so much about skincare. And I realized that 
I really wasn't taking care of my skin like I, I thought. And so, um, yep, I, I do a daily um, cleanser, um, moisturizer, um, a, a day cream, a night cream, uh, cream uh, the eye cream for under my eyes. My eyes used to be very dark. And so I've been using the product now for at least a month. And so I can say that I've noticed a great improvement in my skin. And the, the charcoal mask was also in, included in that. But my eyes, yeah, um, just using that deep cleanse, it was like it opened my pores. I was like, my skin is not as clean as I thought. So those products have been, it's been very helpful. So I've, I've learned a lot about taking better care of my my skin and my face. So that was very um, good that you did mention that about, you know, deep cleanse and moisturizers um, and SPF for our, our um, skin. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, what are ways that we can help to improve our brain and heart health? Um, I know you, you know, kind of hit on about, um, how our body changes and it could have impact on our heart health. So do you have any suggestions other than making sure that, you know, we have diet, exercise? Um, is there any type of maybe supplements that we can do or making sure, you know, we go to the doctor more, you know, frequently for, you know, regular checkups and stuff? Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, brain, heart health, are very big areas, aren't they? And it's, it's, you know, as, as we, we have the aging process there, but then because of the decline in hormones, you know, going talking about brain health and cognitive health is, has really become, it, I, I seem to doing a lot of uh, corporate work and talks on cognitive health because so many women are suffering through mm -hmm. menopause. I think uh, memory lapses, brain fog, you know, cognitive health is, is very high up there on some of the, the symptoms that people really suffer from. Um you need to eat for brain health. You obviously need to think about what you're eating. And again, you know, it really goes back to, to what I was saying about eating real food. You know, we don't want to be eating these ultra processed foods because they're not just detrimental for brain health. They're detrimental for our overall health. They don't, a majority of them don't really contain many nutrients. Um, but your brain needs and loves uh, healthy fats. You know, in particular, omega-3 fatty acids, they're, they're wonderful for brain health. And, and they're the sort of things that you get from oily fish. So salmon, you know, mackerel, herring. Uh, if you don't eat fish, you can that you can get algae. It can, it can be found from in seaweed. And I mean, that if you don't if you don't like fish, then then it's quite difficult you know, to get the amount that you need. So, you know, maybe that is something that you could think about taking a supplement, uh, an omega-3 supplement for. Uh, when you when we're talking about supplements, obviously, again, it's very individual. And what people tend to forget with supplements is that they can have interactions with the medications that you're taking. So if you're thinking about taking any supplements, please do talk to your healthcare provider first to just make sure that it's safe. 
Um, but omega-3 is great for, for uh, brain health. Things like the B vitamins as well, like B, B12, B9, um, vitamin B3, very important for, for cognitive uh, health. You know, so really making sure that you'll eat. Again, if you eat a varied diet, but the what we call the Mediterranean style diet has been shown in loads of research that that is a very good, healthy way to eat. And, you know, you don't have to live by the Mediterranean to eat a Mediterranean style diet. It's really just whole foods, you know, eating uh, meat, they, they eat uh, white meat and fish, they're not so much red meat, vegetables, fruits, nuts and seeds, legumes and all your wonderful healthy fats. So that they're, they're eating whole foods, uh, not packaged foods. And that is a very healthy way to eat. And that is good for heart health and for, for brain health. D Vitamin D is, is important for brain and, and heart health. And things like, like we were talking about antioxidants, which really stop what we call oxidative stress in the body, in the in the uh, circulatory system. You know, we, we want to keep uh, our arteries and our veins healthy. So really, you know, eating lots of antioxidant rich foods. And that, again, is eating rainbow of colors, you know, all, all, all your wonderful fruit and vegetables, green tea is is great that's got many uh, nutrients in there that are very uh good for for our overall health and then we already spoke about probiotics probiotics uh magnesium for brain health and it's it's what you do every day there, there unfortunately there isn't a miracle cure that you can just say oh take this supplement and everything will be okay it's your daily habits that mount up you know to your overall health it's not enough just eating the mediterranean style diet for a week you know you, you, right. you need to have a healthier lifestyle to to really have optimal health long term okay so my last thought or question for today i know that there are stigmas around menopause but how can women embrace menopause with a positive attitude and live the rest of their lives happy and healthy? Yeah, unfortunately, there is a, a negative aura around. I think it's getting better. Mm -hmm. I, I see in, in Europe where I'm based that there's there's a bit of a menopause revolution going on here now. And, you know, women have just had enough and they, they, they're not taking no for an answer anymore. And there's, there's this huge momentum of we want this and we're not settling for you know a doctor or someone saying you know patting you on the head and saying oh well, you'll be okay this is just a phase in life mm -hmm. and I think we have we have to think of this as it's a transition it's a natural transition um and it it will happen to every woman you mm -hmm. know you can't avoid it, it it's mm -hmm. part of nature uh, but how we look at it, we can actually change it into being more of a positive transition. Uh, it's been shown in different parts of the world, in different cultures, where societies look at menopausal women as being, you know, older and wiser. And it's kind of thought of as being a, a very uh, enlightening phase in a woman's life. 
they don't suffer from menopausal symptoms like we do in the Western world. Because in the Western world, we we look at menopause as something we don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. It is aging. We're no longer fertile. It's it's it becomes oh, and no, I don't want to say that. We're in a we don't like to talk about getting older, do we? But yeah. what I tend or like to say to people is, you know, getting older is a privilege, really, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, how many people don't have that privilege? for whatever reason, they don't reach old age. Mm-hmm. They don't regret getting old, you know, embrace this uh, transition and the next phase in your life with with joy uh, and happiness and get the support that you need. If you are having uh, symptoms and you aren't feeling so great, reach out and ask somebody for support because there are so many things that, that you can do to feel better and you need to accept that you have to look after yourself more and you you need yep. time for self-care. You can't get away with what you did when you were younger, When as you get older. And even if you're not going to admit that, you will get to a point where you think, I have to do self-care because I can't function without it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I know that myself. I do, you have yeah. to have that time to look after yourself. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I just want to thank you again, one, for making the last minute accommodation in the time change for the interview. And your um, responses to the questions have been very helpful to me. And I cannot wait to share this because I feel like it will have a, a impact on someone else. Um, like we just went back, we were talking about the stigma. Um, women, you know, sometimes we are we don't want to talk about these these things, you know, or we look at it in a negative aspect, like, you know, I'm getting older and it's not, you know, we don't seem to embrace it as much. And I know that's how I used to be, but now I'm very grateful for every day. So I'm thankful, you know, that I can say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older, but, you know, I'm still here. I'm still able to do this. I'm still able to do that. I'm doing things to take better care of my body. So I have to look at it in a, a positive, you know, mindset to just help me as I go through this transition. Yeah. Oh, no, it's lovely talking to you, Jennifer. And thank you yeah. so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you again. Oh, and did you want to <clears throat> mention your Facebook page? Yeah, I mean, the, the best way if people want to get in touch with me really is, is through my website. Uh, I've got all my social media links on there. Uh, and there's also a resources page if there's lots of free downloads with but different, you know, if you if you want to improve your skin or it's weight management or whatever, there's different ebooks there with recipes and guidance. So, mm-hmm. you know, if any of your listeners want to download them, please feel free. My website is alisonblard.com. Okay, great. I will make sure I will go back and put that in the comments too, um, just for people, just to have um, some additional um, information and resources too. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you again. And you take care and have a great day.